How do companies create a culture and core values that employees actually live out? The team at The Receptionist, a bootstrapped Denver-based software company, sets out to answer that very question. Welcome to The Fabric Podcast. Here's your host, Michael Ashford. Dr. Daniel Halleck joins the show to talk about what many might see as a necessary evil of the business world, networking. But Daniel is here to set the record straight because you see, he's fresh off delivering a TEDx talk called, If Networking Feels Gross, You're Doing It Wrong. And as you might guess from the title of Daniel's talk, he's got some strong feelings about what not to do when it comes to networking. But more importantly, what you can do to make it feel like a more positive and beneficial experience to all involved. After all, we all know networking can help us advance our careers and experience new growth opportunities. In his role as the chief commercial officer at an organization called Wild Leaders, Daniel is a standout voice on the topic of networking, and I am thrilled to have him on the show. You are an organizational and industrial psychologist, and I've got to know, are you the one training the robots to come after us and end the world? Like, is that what is that what industrial psychology is? I just that's the picture I have in my mind, Daniel. <laughs> oh, man, I love that because the title of my degree is perfect because people either think I'm way smarter than I am or they just don't want to ask me about it. Right. They just assume, <laughs> well, yeah, you must be the guy who's tinkering with all those robots. And there are some people who are doing some pretty cutting edge stuff in some interesting places. But, yeah, it's all about how do we take what we know from decades of psychology and research and data analytics and apply it to human beings at work and how we'd be most effective. So in some ways it's bringing the head and the heart together and then pushing it out through people's hands and feet. How did you get interested in that world then? What was it about the the world yeah. of work that, that drew you in? Yeah, Michael, I was originally going to be a marriage and family therapist. And I woke up one day and I realized I was 20 and single. <laughs> and you're laughing, but I realized that no one's going to listen to me for marriage advice. But I really was drawn to helping people with things that would be absolutely critical or pivotal for their lives. I thought if I could help people with their relationships, how much would that improve their whole quality of life and well-being? And I quickly realized, okay, so I'm not going to go that route, but I had been exposed as a psych major to this, the whole field of industrial and organizational psychology. And so I pursued that um, and went down that road and realized I've always had an interest in business. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so um, what if I could take that, that interest in business, that desire to understand people and relationships and how we think and how we tick, combine those together? And what if I could help people live better at work, make better decisions, map their careers, grow in their leadership? And what a positive impact that could have on their lives because you spend up to 100,000, 120,000 hours of your life at work and the spillover to your family. So it really started with, I really want to help make a difference in the lives of people. And it really moved into the workplace. And I love being able to help people optimize how they do work and, and lead and organize. So Daniel, then taking that knowledge, what are you seeing now? And obviously we've been through a lot. We've just been through a few things over the last <laughs> course of the last few years. But um, what are you seeing now that businesses are struggling with as it relates to how people, how their employees, how their staff are showing up to work? It's so funny, Michael. Some things are different and some things are the same. I think with the last few years and all the events we've experienced, in some ways, all it really did was expose people's roots. And so... 
there's so many things we've known about how to develop healthy cultures or build great leaders or hire the right people or create a culture and a place where people are going to thrive and do their best work that we've known for honestly decades that never has been adopted because people didn't feel like they needed to. So in, in some ways, the last few years felt like this gigantic um, gust of wind in a sail where all of a sudden businesses start to realize, oh, we got to engage people. How do we do things remotely? How do we create culture? We don't want to lose talent. We want to attract the best talent. And so we've learned, I think, and seen some new things. But in, in some ways, people finally started, some people finally started asking the questions for the first time. And other people maybe are asking more advanced questions. So things that are different would be there's a lot more effort being paid attention, for example, to how do we do um, virtual work? And, and make that really work well. Or this idea of the future of work, and you joked about automation uh, and some of those trends and remote workforce and the gig, gig economy. Those things have been talked about for a while, but the last three to five years really threw gas on the furnace, if you will. And so people are asking different questions, but some people are actually paying attention for the first time, which is actually really exciting. Jumping back to something you, you just said, Daniel, that, that we've known about these things. We've known that we need to care about culture and, and the way people show up to work for years now. We just never did it. We never asked the questions, as you just mentioned. Why? I mean, that's, that's a question that comes to my mind. Like, I think we can all, you know, I'm, I'm not quite 40 years old yet. I can remember my parents being miserable at work. Yeah. Um, and that was that was just the way that it was to use that old cliche like ah that's the way things are nothing you can do about it why yeah. Daniel yeah I mean, it's interesting I from what I'll tell you what I'm what I'm seeing and I'll give an example too one place in my field is this idea of selection how do we hire the right people for the right role which is both good for the company and the person right everyone wants to be in a job where they're actually going to thrive and flourish and the company wants the right person there instead we do this awkward interview dance and game and people you know try to cajole you into thinking they're the right fit and you might not get their giving first impressions michael i'm not exaggerating this we have over 100 years of research on selecting and hiring people <laughs> I believe Over it. <laughs> a hundred. One of my favorite articles is called a, <laughs> a century in retrospective of selection. What have we learned? It's like we have literally a hundred years. So in some ways, some of these things we, we keep iterating and innovating and technology changes. But in some ways, some of these things like we've known for a while. The challenge, I think, has been people don't always connect the investment in people or human capital systems or developing whole people to the business. So. A number of years ago, I sat with a president of a company who was invested in, in uh, developing leaders and people. And I asked him, I said, why are you investing in people? And I asked every leader this. And they, they, he said, well, because it's the right thing to do. And, he, and I said, okay, tell me more. And so he just started describing how people had invested in him. It was a big deal. And, and then he said something. He said, but of course, we're a consulting company and talent at the end of the day is our business. And so it's the right thing to do, but also there's a business case. And what I've realized is most people will give lip service. People are our, are our greatest asset. And that's a nice, <laughs> like put that on a plaque and on, you know, on your wall and let it get dusty. But the idea that investing in people, oftentimes people say, well, it's the right thing to do. I just believe in it. And I've realized that that desire is a necessary, but insufficient criteria. 
So if investing in people is a good idea, it's, it's the right thing to do. And you, and you could, you could insert anything like sustainability or uh, creating a diverse workforce or being involved in the community as a business, like whatever the thing is, if it's a nice idea, but doesn't actually have a business value, it might get a little bit of traction, but push come to shove. If budgets are tight, if there's a looming recession, we're going to kick it to the back burner. And so what I've learned is I think the last few years have made the business case along with the kind of intrinsic heart case collide together. So yeah. when a leader says to me, and I, we tend to, I, I tend to attract or want to work with value-based leaders who care about people. So I hear that all the time. Well, it's the right thing to do. I just care about my people. I was like, that's great. So tell me more. Why, why does it matter for the business or what bad thing happens in six months if you don't invest in your people? And the ones who can say things like, well, if I don't develop leaders or people, I'm not going to actually retire and turn over my business. Mm -hmm. Oh, or, well, you know, we're trying to grow because we believe we have a product and service that can bless a lot of people. And I need people who are equipped and leaders to run that. And so we need to invest in people for growth. Or even I had an organization really recently that said, we're all about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and today it's easy for everybody to say that. And so I said, well, tell me why. And they said, well, our, the population we serve as a social service agency um, and they described the individuals who they're serving and said, we actually, it's, it's, it's not just something we believe in, but we're more effective at our work and we'll sure. be able to serve more if we actually reflect the population we're serving. And so the, the nice to have was let's invest in people. Let's, let's care about this, that plus a business case. And so I think the, the talent shortage, talent war, however you want to call it has for some organizations made a nice idea, a necessary, not just a nice to have. Man, that's such interesting context and nuance there. And, and literally today in a leadership team meeting here at The Receptionist, we discussed our professional development fund and the the old cliche that I think has been out there in the business world for probably longer than I even realize is, you know, the the CFO walks up to the, the VP of HR and says, what is it costing us to develop all these people and invest all this money in developing our people? And the VP of HR says, well, what's the cost if we don't? And you know why it's a cliche that's been out there, but it rings true in, in hearing what you're just talking about, making that business case for not only being yeah. the right thing to do, but the right business thing to do as well. And we also have a, a little mantra that we say here at the receptionist about right person, right seat. We want the right person. Yes, we want the right culture fit and somebody who adds to the culture and helps us build the culture, not just, you know, is a clone of the culture, but then they have to be in the right seat as well. And if they're not in the right seat, then how do we figure out what the right seat is for them and develop them? But that leads us into what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about here today, Daniel, which is your recent TED talk. TEDx talk and the value of networking. So with all of this that we've talked about up to this point, we've also heard the great resignation. We've heard the ridiculous phrase, quiet quitting, which is nothing new, but we just slapped a little, <laughs> we, we slapped a fun little quip on it to uh, make it more newsworthy. Networking seems to be, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but networking based on your TEDx talk, and I encourage people to go watch it, seems to be a way to help people get out of a situation where they are feeling like they want to resign, they want to quiet quit. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a I love that, Michael. And, and being my TEDx coach, you, you know a little bit about the talk. <laughs> um, it is, you know, networking is hands down one of the most powerful ways 
to find information, access resources, or create new opportunities. Whether that is finding a restaurant to eat, finding your next job. The challenge becomes, and so we've known this forever, right? We hear those old trite phrases. It's all about who you know, not what you know. And then somebody extends extends that and says, well, it's not just who you know, it's who you know and, and who knows you and what you're good at. I mean, we can keep going on and on, but the point being, we know that relationships matter. The challenge is, I think for the person today who's saying, you know what? I could actually network and that could be internal or external, by the way, Michael, I think I, I did not get into that in the TEDx, but one of the things that there's some really fascinating research around is some people will build a network that positions them to leave, but really they want to get promoted. And so it actually mm. takes a different network to get a promotion than it does to find your next job. I, I talk about that in, in the book I'm writing that the TEDx is based on, but if let's just say I'm looking for my next job. We know that relationships are going to open up that door because if I look at a resume and I used to write resumes for a living, the thing that's missing for most resumes is people's humanity. And so we look at a resume and it's just, it's just line item after line item of tasks and things. And compared to everyone else, I, I, you might, you're just a piece of paper, but when you meet a person who has personality and interests and stories and background and unique strengths and of course challenges too, but that person has so much more life at their 3D. We know that if you're comparing someone on their resume, you're just comparing them by a list of accomplishments. And even though I can write a great resume, I would never let myself compete on just my resume. But I know if I have a conversation with somebody and there's a connection or I get passionate about what they're doing, what their business is about, and I can tell a story and they say, oh, this person's got that X factor. And people end up hiring for that X factor. And so that's where networking comes in is I think of it as really networking and building relationships is the highway of opportunity. The challenge is that person who's thinking maybe I should start to network feels like, well, gosh, this is going to be a huge, long, drawn out process. I'm going to go have to knock on doors of all my old friends and coworkers and circle back around. Hey, I'm looking for a job, you know, like Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street, like <laughs> get a job, Grouch, not here. And no one wants that feeling. And so we often avoid it, but it is the highway of opportunity, Michael. I know one of the things that you addressed in your TEDx talk that I'd love for you to expand upon here is this notion that networking to be a relational investor. Am I, am I correct in that? To be a relational investor rather than somebody who just sucks all this value out of people that it's going to take a long time. Can you set us straight on that? What, what is the uplift that we're looking at to, to network with people in a way that's not cringy? Yeah. And I think I described that cringy way. It's a great term as being a trans, a a greedy transactional consumer. It's all about Mm -hmm. for me. And it's all about how do I tit for tat your transaction? Like I got to close the account and swipe my card. Right. And I, I compare that with being a generous relational investor. And it's interesting because the best analogy I can think of, it's like gardening, right? So my parents were were avid gardeners and I've watched them garden all my life. And you see they plant, they had this incredible suburban garden, fruit trees all the way to vegetables. And some things, some seeds take a long time to germinate, pop and grow for you to get fruit and others come a little bit faster. So um, you might have that, that cherry tree or that we had a plum tree that took 
years. And one day it finally had fruit. And if we thought, oh my goodness, this thing actually has fruit. This is fantastic. And other things you'd plant like string beans and you get them within a couple months, like boom, all of a sudden we've got some fruit. And so I, I would say keeping an eye on the long game is going to allow us to continue to be that generous relational investor where we're not just about the transaction. But at the same time, if we're approaching it the right way and we build relationships, one of the beautiful things is right now, if I think about that person looking for a job right now, if somebody's listening and they're like, I'm looking for my next big opportunity, there is somebody right now who is having a conversation with their team and they're trying to find somebody with that exact skill set. And they can't meet each other. But here's what we know. Even in a bad economy, someone's going to go on maternity and decide not to come back because they already decided not to come back. Somebody <laughs> is going to get another job or go back to grad school. Someone's going to relocate with uh, a partner. Somebody is going to get sick and need somebody to backfill them for a season. Someone's going to get promoted. Someone's going to get laid off. And then guess what? Turns out they actually shouldn't lay that person off because they still need that position. Oops, we got to post a position. There's always churn. And so even in a short period of time, when somebody gets out there and builds authentic, meaningful relationships with people, they will find that they will suddenly have opportunities coming their way that they didn't even expect. And while some fruit might take a decade, we look back and go, oh my goodness, um, this opportunity came up because of a relationship I built 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It doesn't have to take that long for a networking relationship to yield some really meaningful, mutually beneficial fruit. So let's say, let's say you see a, a post on LinkedIn from a, from an acquaintance who maybe you worked with at a previous job and they say, well, you know, you probably saw the news, but my company laid off 10% of the workforce. I was swept up in that. Um, I'm looking for jobs. Here's what I can do. If you hear of anything, please let me know. And so many people's response, it seems like, and I know I've been here before too. So I'm not like, this is me pointing the finger back at myself. We jump in the comments. We say, I'll keep an eye out for you, or I'll, I'll keep my ear to the ground for you. I'll let you know if I hear of anything. And then it just gets pushed to the back of the mind and you never think of it again. Um, you never do anything to actively pursue mm -hmm. that thing that you just that you just committed in a way to do for that person. The question, Daniel, that comes to my mind is how do we be more intentional about showing up for other people like that and do that investment to where, yeah, maybe it will pay off for us, you know, two months down the road, two years down the road, what have you. But that hurdle of actually being yeah. intentional about being that investor. What are your thoughts there? That's great. I think the first thing is we want, people want to help. And so that's why we give that comment. You know, I'll keep an eye out for you. We want to be helpful. We often don't know how to help. And so unless somebody, if I'm coaching a job seeker, I'll encourage them, be really specific with what you need help from because then people will step up. Mm. But if they mm -hmm. don't, it's kind of like saying, hey, where should we go to dinner tonight? And we've all done this with our friends. I don't know. I don't know. What do you want? What do you want? You know what I mean? We all do that. But if somebody says, hey, I really feel like Thai. Is there a great Thai place in this town if I'm visiting? You'd say, oh, I know three. And so yeah. on the other side, I'd coach them to be more specific. If you're that person who sees a friend or old coworker make that post, I think there's a couple easy things to do that 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 would make you feel even better and more fulfilled and actually maybe find a way to genuinely help your, your former colleague and, and maybe even your career. So if I saw you at one of those posts, Michael, I might reach out and say, Michael, I'd either comment or, or send you a direct message and say, Michael, I'm so sorry you got, you got a rift. First off, um, let me know if I can help in any way. 
specifically, and I had this happen recently. Somebody sent me a note saying I'm going to be looking. I, I, I responded back and I said, can you give me some, some more specifics? I'd love to help and keep my eyes out for something specific. Could you, could you tell me a little bit about what type of roles are you looking for and what type of company? What company size is there in industry? And then specifically, I, I will often offer, feel free to go through my LinkedIn connections. And if yeah. you see someone who you think would be a, a good uh, connection, let me know. And if it's appropriate, I'm happy to make the introduction. But if they can come back to me and say, you know, I'm really looking for a director of marketing role at a uh, growing, you know, late stage startup, 200 people and in software as a service. Oh my God, gosh. Well, now, now I've got like five people in my mind you got to talk to. I don't know if it's going to yeah. go anywhere, but I have something to give you. And I can now make an introduction to a friend at another company. And so maybe that person hires you. Well, you just, you feel great. My friend feels great, wants to take me out for drinks. And I feel <laughs> even better. And maybe that comes back around from, for me one day. Maybe it doesn't, but either way, that is so much richer than I'll keep an eye out for you. And, and, and most of us have so much resources to share with people. We just don't know how. And so that would be a, a couple easy ways that you, I, th I think we can reach out to people who are in transition and invite them into, into some relational investment. Such good sound tactical advice there. I absolutely love it. Um, I know we're getting to the end of our time here. So I got to ask the question that I ask of all of our guests, and, and I'm going to for sure link up your organization, Wild Leaders, in the show notes. We'll also link to your TEDx talk so people can get the full Daniel experience. But last question, and some of the some of the words are behind me on the walls, but our core values here at The Receptionist are fun, authentic, bold, respectful, innovative, and collaborative. It spells fabric. And uh, those are our core values that we live by. And I love to ask our guests, which one of those resonates with you the most and why? Fun, authentic, bold, respectful, innovative, and collaborative. Yeah, I'm going to go with, with innovative today. I, all of those would resonate. <laughs> and I've done some writing on this related to networking too. I, I, I believe there are certain people who can draw out the innovation from you. And so when I hear that word innovative, I love that it, it, it is both this creation of new things that kind of has a little bit of invention, but also this innovation of how do we iterate and make things even better. And I find that most things happen, hence this idea of relationships with and through other people. So I've got a handful of people in my life that I know if I go to them with a crazy idea or something I'm working on, they will, they will just turn my, they will like give me a kaleidoscope. And it's like their perspective on life in the world is shades of colors. I never even knew existed and I leave feeling more creative and innovative. And so I think even this idea of networking, as we build relationships and have these conversations, that's part of what makes it fun is it spurs innovation for us um, as we take in new things and learn and, and then metabolize them back into our work. So I love those values and the fabric acronym. And today I'd say innovative. Beautiful stuff, Daniel. Thanks so much. I appreciate you doing this. And uh, yeah, best wishes to you. Let's stay in touch and uh, be, I guess, relational investors for sure. Networking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Fabric Podcast. Our show is hosted by me, Michael Ashford, Director of Marketing here at The Receptionist and produced by our creative manager, James Jordan. If you want to see a video version of the show, jump over to thereceptionist.com slash fabric, where you can watch episodes of all of the content that we put out on this podcast. You can see our bright, smiling faces, and you can see what our studio looks like as well. 
If you'd like to give the Receptionist for iPad Visitor Management System a try in your office, jump over to thereceptionist.com slash free trial and give us a test drive for 14 days with no credit card required. See what you think. Until next time, take care.